So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Hello, man fans. Ollie Mann here with The Modern Man. Uh, and a big hello to Ken. Uh, he says, Ollie, I listened to last week's episode about free diving today and then put into practice some of Emma's breathing techniques as I was about to have a really painful tooth extracted. Uh, It worked a treat and really calmed me down. I normally get totally freaked by dental procedures. Um, You're welcome, Ken, although you have raised numerous questions in my mind now. Uh, One, should we start making self-help audiobooks? And two, did the sound of the dentist drill make Ollie Peart's laugh sound normal in any way? Probably not. Uh, actually, you'll, you'll hear us both giggling uncontrollably at something incredibly juvenile in this episode, for which I can only apologise. Well, I say only apologise. Obviously, I could have edited it out. I, I chose to leave it in, but still, I apologise in advance. Uh, anyway, our main feature this week is with one of Savile Row's top tailors, and therefore one of the world's top tailors, I guess. Uh, it's about dressing well and how to choose a suit, but it's also about how to fit in in some of the world's most elitist institutions. Uh, Before all of that, though, let's just pause to reflect on all the amazing things you can get on your smartphones these days. Obviously, top-notch entertainment like this, but also drugs, because once again, our sponsor this week is echo.co.uk, with which you can order repeat prescriptions just with the power of your smartphone. No more wasted lunch breaks queuing up at your pharmacy. No more chasing your GP for your repeat meds. All you need to do is download the Echo app, enter in a few details about yourself and your GP surgery, and that is it. Away you go. That's echo.co.uk. And thanks very much to them. Uh, Right, on today's show, you will learn which boy band member still makes the foxhole tingle, you'll learn why every suit should come with two pairs of trousers, and you'll learn why the voice notes function on WhatsApp could be your key to a fruity night in. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. So here, actually, you don't come in and buy a suit. You commission a sartorial image. Fashion, style, glamour and persistence. How to make it on Savile Row. Erotic literature allows space for you to fill in the details yourself. And Alex Fox looks at the books that can widen your carnal knowledge. But first, it's time for the zeitgeist. All the trends you need to know about for the week ahead with, well, I was about to say Ollie Pitt, but he appears to have been replaced by that kid from Stranger Things. 
Good one. We'll find out about your cosplay challenge later. Uh, first, what are the big trends of the week, Holly? The death of makeup. It was only, I mean, literally, what, six, seven episodes ago that you were telling us that male makeup was the next big boom. Yeah, and now it's all over again. That's how quickly this thing moves. <laughs> you have to be on top of it, which is what I, I am. I'm, like, literally on the pulse, vibrating with it, You're right? not literally on the pulse of anything. What's the trend? So you all, we, we all have an idea of what we look like, don't we? Yeah. But Ruth Fadge on... <laughs> <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> that can't be right. I'm pretty sure it's Fadge. Is, isn't it? It is. <laughs> All right, our name's Fadge. Just yeah, get over right. it. All right? Stop I making me laugh. I will never be over it, but I can deal with it. Basically, she uses a Snapchat camera to take all of her photographs now. She used to use the original one, but she decided to use a Snapchat one. And I don't know if you've used it, but it's got loads of filters. Yeah. Beautifying features. All camera apps have loads of filters now, though. Not like Snapchat. Snapchat's like, they really accentuate your features yeah, yeah. a lot. It's, it's real-time Photoshop, isn't it, basically? And she basically went on a normal photo shoot. So she had her photos taken by a proper photographer. And when she was looking back at the photo, she thought, that is not how I thought I looked. Mm. I didn't think that I looked like that. And she got really concerned that we are starting to have sort of a heightened view of how we actually look. And we're losing the, the reality. But just because it's digital and instant now, mm. hasn't it always been the case that people have tried to find the best photo of themselves? Yeah, but taking a good photo is completely different from but artificially accentuating your features. So you use it like a, like a mirror. You, you see it on, on the screen. It's not like you do it afterwards. That, that is how you look at yourself the whole time when you're using that camera. So you, that you just think that that's how you look. Can you identify with that, though, really? No, because I don't use Snapchat. <coughs> you but, do a lot of selfies, though. But I, but I do... Well, I, I can possibly understand the idea that you kind of forget what you look like because and the only reason i say that is because well i've been ravaged by age so Mm. i have kind of like a an idea of how i look and then when i look in the mirror i'm like oh dear but with this i can imagine looking at yourself every day in that way you would just imagine that that's how you look and then when you saw a real version of yourself you might be well disappointed what else have you got for us hq scott and the future of tv right this is a chap called scott rogoski and he was a comedian, but he's now the presenter on an app. And it's basically a live streaming app. It's a trivia game. It's basically like a game show. But you can join in. You can participate. Live streaming? Yeah. It's like so a 24-7 game show? No. So they have two showings a day on a weekday and one on a weekend. Okay. It's like at 9 p.m. EDT. Right. This is genuinely, this is how successful it is. You know, like Facebook Live, and you'll get like a, maybe a couple of thousand people watching at any given time, something like that. Yeah. There are hundreds of thousands of people waiting until this live stream comes on so you can wait in what they call the lobby and then on the screen so you've got scott he's hosting the questions and then as he announces the questions you see him and it's produced really well and as you as he announces the questions you see them pop up on the screen multiple choice answers right and then you tap what you what you want to answer okay and then you get eliminated if you get it wrong but if you get them all right to the end of the quiz Ah. you get a split of the prize purse and they are talking about at the moment it's only a few hundred dollars but they are they're talking about having a million dollar prize pot familiar people won it then you wouldn't win very much but potentially you could win a million dollars in the future quite fun yeah i'd imagine playing that once but i can't imagine watching it every day well i think this is why people get really excited about it because those that are playing it now are getting hooked like properly hooked on it lots of people think that this possibly could be the future 
of TV. TV's kind of dying, isn't it, in terms of appointment to view linear television. That's yes. been the story of the last 10 yeah. years. You know, we've seen Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the rest of it. People schedule what they want when they want to see it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work for live events. It doesn't work for the X Factor final. It doesn't work for the FA Cup final. won't work for a game show if you're playing along live. So that all makes sense, that there's a different place you'd go for live content, and that's a place you could make money out of it. But why is that the future of TV? I mean, what's ITV going to do about that? They're not going to make an app, are they? Well, why not? It's time to catch up on your cosplay expedition, Ollie. Last week you were challenged by Man Fan Kelly in Las Vegas to go to a sci-fi convention in full costume. And we sent you to Comic-Con in Birmingham. So you were thinking about going as Dustin from Stranger Things. Yes. Did you? No. Did Before you acknowledge that it was a bit creepy to turn up as a 12-year-old boy? No. Oh. No, not at all. I just, I, I just wanted to come up with a better idea. Um, but... I'm going to give you a little explanation before mm-hmm. I tell you what I went as, mm-hmm. as to my decision-making process. Mm-hmm. So I went with my partner, Pip. Mm-hmm. So I had to think of something where we could both go together and we, we looked like we were part of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So... You were E.T., she was Elliot? No, although that would have been quite good. <laughs> we went as yeah. the stars of my favourite TV show, Rick and Morty. Here you go. A, it's a reasonable choice of costume for uh, Comic Con. No, 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 but as in, like, in a room full of. It was know, brilliant. Rick People and Morty were saying, like oh, credible... it's Rick and Morty, it's yeah. Rick and Morty. I've never seen Wubble it, but I, I understand it is funny and clever, and, like, people who are into that sort of thing like it. So, you know, it's not an embarrassing choice. That was so dismissive. I'm not being dismissive. It's not my sort of thing. I mean, I'm, I will get around to watching it one day. I've just got a lot of animated. I haven't seen all of South Park, and that's better, that's all. My concern is oh, that all go. you've. D- no. Look, no, 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 sorry, no, no, I was just not? mumbling. I was just mumbling under my okay. breath. It's a bit. Right. <coughs> my concern is that what you've done is you've Googled Rick and Morty wig and bought something off Amazon. I didn't Google Rick and Morty wig. My partner did. Yeah. And anyway, I the think... actual good one sold out. Look, it... no, but, the, but that's, that's like, isn't that the thing? Like, it, the whole point of a fan convention is that you've made your own handmade costume because you love it, not that you've gone on eBay and bought someone else's what? design. To come up with a costume in short notice, mm. two, but it is hard. And the people that are doing, like, the proper cosplay... I mean, you need weeks. You didn't give me weeks. So what did you see? Well, there's loads of characters that I didn't really fully understand, but one of my favourite ones... That's a sci-fi convention. That's because they'd be like PC Andy's friend from one episode of Torchwood. Yeah, it was really weird. Loads of people with swords and stuff, and I was just a bit like... Loads of Star Wars. Mm. Didn't know the characters necessarily, apart from, obviously, Darth Vader mm. and the, the ones in the white. What, the, what, the ones in the white, white soldiers? <laughs> That's it. Those are the only two characters yeah, in exactly. Star Wars. Yeah. Well, the official ones were very, very good. So if you turned up as Darth Vader, you'd probably look absolutely terrible. Mm. But my favourite one, believe it or not, was a chap who dressed as Harry Potter. Oh, right. Because what he'd done, see, Harry Potter's easy, isn't it? You just wear round glasses, round glasses do your hair a bit, and lightning put a thing cape on your forehead. I've yeah. actually done it twice. Have you? Yeah, yeah. you probably get away with it quite easily, especially in that suit. This is a true story. I was filming a comedy sketch in Oxford with Helen Zaltzman dressed as Harry Potter, and I got stopped by Japanese tourists who seemed to genuinely think I was Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> this is when I was like quite substantially <laughs> overweight as well compared to Daniel Radcliffe. It was extraordinary. That was an amazing yeah, story. it was amazing. But he was great because he had a, an electric skateboard and he'd sort of made it into a Quidditch pitch mm. and he was riding a broom and he was riding around the car park and it was quite entertaining. Did you feel mm-hmm. like an included part of an open community or did you feel like it's still all a bit weird and geeky, that stuff? No, I'm going to say this that the people at Comic Con were so lovely. I'll show you a picture. Hang on. This bloke came up to me whilst I was waiting outside the toilets for my Morty. And 
That's not your new beverage, is it? (laughs) (laughs) It could be. And uh, he said, oh, can I get a photo taken with you? Rick. Called me Rick. And he was Pickle Rick. Oh, wow, look at that. Yeah, there you go. But you don't know what that is because you haven't seen it. Well, I get it. It's a guy dressed as a cucumber. But you can see that we're both terrible examples of our characters. I mean, he is a terrible Pickle Rick. Mm. And I went, oh, I'm a really terrible Rick. And he went, I'm a really terrible Pickle Rick. And he goes, but do you know what? That doesn't matter. It's about the taking part. That's what the whole thing felt like. It was just really nice. And the people that didn't dress up stood out. Because, I'm going to be completely frank, Mm. the actual convention itself Mm. was shit. Oh, really? Why? Because it it just felt like a massive car boot selling comics and T-shirts. Did it feel ever so slightly exploitative of fans? Yes, because you had to pay to buy stuff that you can get on the internet anyway. Yes, that's the thing, isn't it? The only good thing, like, you sort of walk about and and you... Actually, I say good, it's slightly weird. You know, like... You see, or you hear stories where you, you can go along and you can just get your autographs with, with, with famous people from nerdy films, mm, right? Mm. That was the case. And I just saw, like, Chris Barry, you know the one? Oh, yeah, Red Dwarf. Yeah. yeah, Red Dwarf. And he was just sat there on his own, mm. at a little table, mm. no one queuing up. Really? Just, just sat. No just, one queuing for Chris Barry? No one queuing for Chris Barry. Like a caged animal. Couldn't leave his desk until he'd signed a load of cards. And I just felt really sorry for him. So, mm. Chris, if you're listening, you know, there's help you can get, probably... <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, Let's pass you the envelope for next week's challenge It's from a chap called Dave mm-hmm. Who says You sound tense I, I'm pretty tense at the moment as you know. Anyway, take 30 minutes each day To do something purposefully to relax hmm. Let us know what you did each day Which you enjoyed most And which you'll be repeating in the future This series, people have noticed You seem ever so slightly strained compared to the jolly happy chappy of old. I I am slightly, yeah. Um, And we're going to, you know, take advantage of that fact by getting you to explore some meditation apps and shit like that. So you're basically going to get me to do more work to alleviate my stress. Well, yeah, but it's a big thing, isn't it? Like, you know, little kind of microbursts of stress relieving is is a very trendy thing. Well... Has it never appealed to you? Kind of like, you know, finding a bit of zen space in your day? I just prefer a couple of weeks off. Yeah, I'm not going to give you that. I I will go for it. I'll, I'll, I'll obviously... Enter into this challenge with the same enthusiasm I've entered into every other one. Well, Why are you that laughing? That is clear to hear. Ollie, uh, the Ruth Fadge of this podcast, thank you. <laughs> Hello, man fans. My name is Mira Dutani. I'm a freelance travel journalist and editor. And these are my top three Squarespace life hacks for how to pack light. So my first tip is to have as many outfits as possible so you don't get bored. So every top I have goes with every bottom I have. So I have like 16 outfits. When I do my longer trips, I even make sure, which might sound a bit excessive, that my sleepwear is a normal pair of shorts, like a comfy pair of shorts. So I'll wear them as as night shorts, but then after doing, say, a laundry session, those will go into my day wear and I'll switch another pair up. I've got a bit of variety again. And it, and it does make a difference when you're when you're on the road for a while. So tip number two, I always ask this, is do I need it? And could I buy it? Generally, unless you're going somewhere very remote, you don't really need to take all those just-in-case items. Having said that, there are things I don't compromise on. So if you wear contact lenses, I always have a small first aid kit. You don't need to cover every scenario, but you do need to make sure that if you need something like rehydration salts, anti-diarrhea meds, you know, you don't always want to be going to find them in the moment of need. 
I always take a sarong. You know, whether you're a guy or a girl, it's just it's just brilliant. It's a scarf, it's a pillow, you can you know, use it to cover things. It's a sheet if you're staying somewhere that's a bit dodgy, you know. <laughs> and one of my tips with the hair thing, especially for, for women, is getting your hair washed in a local salon is such a great experience. It's usually about two or three dollars, so much cheaper certainly than the UK. So sometimes I don't even take any hair products at all. I just, I just pay a couple of dollars and get my hair washed. And my final tip is about tech. So I think now there's so many things you can buy, you know, these like GoPros and cameras and phones. And, you know, do you really need to take all that tech? Because for every item you take, you're also, you've got the charger that goes with it. You've got to make sure things get charged up. I've taken to pretty much only taking my phone on a trip. That's the only thing that needs charging up. My only other caveat for that is a waterproof camera, which I do think are brilliant if you're doing adventure stuff. It's not just about if you're going snorkeling or diving. The waterproofs are just shockproof and they're safer than your phone. I mean, I would not get my phone out if I'm like canyoning or, but I think, you know, really think about the, the different tech that you're taking. So those are my top three packing tips. For this kind of writing, take a look at adventure.com, of which I'm one of the editors. Thanks to Mira for her Squarespace life hacks. Remember, you can share your own expert advice in minutes by building your blog with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MAN, that's M-A-N-N, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now. One of the weird things about living anywhere near London is people all over the world think they know my city, even though they've never been here. People know Oxford Street is where you do your shopping. Portobello Road is where you get your antiques. Harley Street is, uh, well, where you get your plastic surgery, basically. And when it comes to suits, well, you've got to go to Savile Row. Even as a kid, Andrew Ramroop seemed destined to be a Savile Row tailor despite living over 4,000 miles away. My mother reminded me that when I was about nine years old, I cut up one of her pillowcases into the shape of a pair of trousers. And as we had no electricity living in the hills of the northern range of mountains in Trinidad, we had one of those hand-sewing machines. And uh, she told me I sew down the side very slowly and very carefully, I sew down what 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 I what become known as the outside leg and the inside leg. I can't say that I actually cut a pair of trousers. It was like a huge W, you know, <laughs> looking as though like if you if you lay down a, a pair of trousers flat down on a surface, you know, you'd see like the outside leg and the inside leg, and uh, and the fly at the front and then the, the top. So I cut a, a huge pillowcase into the shape of a pair of trousers. Do you remember consciously thinking? I want to work in fashion. I did not. I think perhaps one of the reasons why I actually got in gravitated towards uh, being creative, it's because coming from the kind of background that I did, very humble beginnings, we didn't really have very much. And the only way I can get close for myself is probably to try and fiddle around and make them myself. Uh, when I was a teenager, I, I began to have clothes because I left school when I was age 13, going on 14. And so um, I started making my own clothes um, before my 14th birthday. In fact, I was making trousers for other kids to go to school. I was still a kid, and I was making trousers for other kids to go to school. 
I discovered very early what I really enjoyed doing, being creative. But it's not an ideal place to learn tailoring. It's not known still for tailoring. Trinidad and Tobago, they're not known for tailoring. They're known for carnival and they're known for soca music and calypso and dance, but not for tailoring. So did you know immediately you would have to leave? I had a sense that if I wanted to develop a career that I needed to look farther and wider. By age 17, I was making jackets and trousers. And uh, I didn't know how to cut the garments, but I knew how to make them. And I'd made myself two suits. I'd saved all my money that I earned. And I bought uh, a boat ticket to sail to Savile Row. Did you have any contacts here? There was a a distant contact. I I got to Southampton. Uh, I got a, a train from Southampton to Waterloo. And from Waterloo, someone met me there and they had found digs for me in Finsbury Park, North London. I came to Savile Row looking for work the following Monday morning. How how much money did you have before time ran out? I had in the region of, uh, I think, £75. And £75 was quite a lot of money because my rent was about £2.50 a week. And then I I immediately got a job. I was getting paid £12 a week. What was that job? That was in the back room at, at Huntsman on Savile Row, you know, where that movie Kingsman was filmed. Just a few doors down from where we are few, Yeah, that's yeah. right. But you know what? I became ambitious. Yeah, I, was a, I was ambitious as a young tailor in Trinidad, but I came, became ambitious. I felt that if I really wanted to get ahead, I needed some formalized training. I needed to learn more about Savile Row style, Savile Row cut, Savile Row craftsmanship. And if I wanted to get ahead, I needed to train and train myself. And so I worked three jobs. I worked uh, during the the week at Huntsman. I had a Saturday job on the King's Road in Chelsea doing alterations. And then I had an evening job making trousers. So I was running three jobs at the same time. How did you blag your way in? I'm West Indian, you know. (laughs) I'm from Trinidad. And, you know, we can communicate, but my communication was more sartorial communication because I made clothes for myself before I came here. And uh, the tailors liked what I did. And then but when you say you, you, okay, you had the gift of the gab, fine, and you had some nice clothes that you'd made that you'd brought with you. But still, Savile Row, I mean, of all the establishment places in the UK, particularly then, it's a different world now. There's an Abercrombie and Fitch down the road, but it wasn't like that in 1960-something. <laughs> How did you, as a West Indian with no track record in this country, come in and say, you want to employ me? Well, you know what? It wasn't as easy as I I made out. The first job that I had, I was fired after about 15 minutes. The job was advertised. I got it. Another guy came in uh, looking for a job, a white guy. He came looking for a job and... uh, the, I was replaced after about 15 minutes. I hadn't really started. I was replaced in no time at all. But the gentleman, I would I would like to describe him, he was embar- slightly embarrassed about having to let me go without really getting me started. And he the, said, the idea of diversity being a good thing wasn't really firmly <laughs> entrenched then, was it? Not at all. And he said, well, I'll try and find you another job. He called a friend of his in Savile Row. And his friend liked my suit and said, have I got a facilities at home so that I can work as an art worker for him? And I said, no, I've only just arrived in the country two days before that. I didn't have any facility. And then he said, well, look, I'll try and help you out. And then he called Huntsman's. 
and that's when I was employed there. So, you know, it, it was by way of, of an introduction to get that job at Huntsman's. The interesting thing is that um, when I felt that I needed to change course a little and I wanted to get to the front of the shop, I wanted to meet and greet customers, I wanted to design, I wanted to take measurements, I wanted to be a part of of the commission from the very beginning into the translation of a suit delivery. Savile Row wasn't prepared for West Indian. And I felt I needed that formalized training. I needed to prove myself. I went off to college. I went off to London College of Fashion. Now, the London College of Fashion take 15 students in the first year. And in the second year, they choose 10. And in the third year, they choose another eight. After the first year, the principal, Mr. Clark, called me into his office. And he said, I'm going to do something that I haven't done before. If you can complete this three-year degree in two years, I'll allow you to skip one year and take you straight on to the third year. As a foreign student, I was paying £900 a year school fees in 1972. It was an awful lot of money. Yeah. I could have bought a detached or a semi-detached house for about £6,000. And here I am, paying £900 a year fees. But such was my determination to learn the skills of a high-class tailor. And so after completing my three-year degree in two years, Mr. Clark calls me to his office again. And he said, I'm going to do something that we've never done in this college before. I'm going to present you with this, a Diploma of Distinction in Tailoring. They created a diploma especially for me. So I came back to Savile Row looking for a job. For all of the appointments I had, no one would employ me because I wanted to be at the front of the shop. I didn't want to. I got, I got offers in the back room, but no one would take me for the front of the shop. Simply because, as you say, Savile Row wasn't ready. They weren't ready. You know, my young mind was, was excited about coming to Savile Row, where the pinnacle of sartorial excellence, where the captains of industry, where prime ministers, presidents, Hollywood stars, they had their suits made there. I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be... The young athlete wanted to be in the Olympics of tailoring. So 1974, you come and work here at um, Morris Sedwell as an assistant cutter. At that time, Mr. Sedwell was owner of the business. And of course, most um, tailoring houses at that time, they were on recommendation. So I'm sure in many ways, the answer to this question hasn't really changed since then. But how long did it take then to make a suit? On a first suit... The times that is uh, actually involved is in the region of 90 hours. Wow. It's very labor-intensive. It's handcraft tailoring to the highest standards attainable. Consider you taking a flat piece of cloth and creating a three-dimensional form with it, with style, elegance, with a touch of individuality and a selection of materials and the linings, you know, the handcraft methods. It requires a lot of time to be able to create that image and this is where the fitting coming because the first fitting at that stage you're actually translating numbers which are measurements into a paper pattern you then cut the cloth and you then you now you're beginning to create the shape so the first fitting would give us the shape of the customer the figuration if you like and we'll communicate to the customer what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we wish to achieve. We need to engage them because you have the customer standing and facing the mirror mm. for at least 20 minutes, in some cases half an hour. Mm. And so you need them to stand and look at themselves 
And what, what I do here particularly is that we have our own style. We have our own signature style. It's different to any other tailor in Savile Row. We have our own cut. We have our own silhouette. We have our own pocket details. So here, actually, you don't come in and buy a suit. You commission a sartorial image. Yeah, I'm interested the extent to which someone's personality can be reflected in what someone else makes for them. Because I imagine most people coming in for a first suit are thinking, right, I need the suit that's going to get me through a lot of high-profile business meetings, or I need the suit that is for my wedding. Mm -hmm. And so, in a way, they're not looking for an outlandish expression of their personality. You might be looking at them, presumably, and thinking, you'd look amazing with some pink detail on the sleeve. Mm -hmm. But they're thinking, I want a conservative suit to go to a hotel meeting room in. Mm -hmm. How how do you manage to bridge that? You know, it is getting to know the individual, their lifestyle, their career, the image they wish to project. They become the designer of their suit, and they're simply employing their expertise. Mm. And we get it out out of them what type of material they feel, what color, first of all, material they feel comfortable in, whether it's a plain, a stripe, a check, a herringbone. These suits are made to last at least 12 years at a very minimum. So would you like to have a suit that actually outlasts fashion and it's more style, and so it's moderate in design? Would you like a 40s look? Would you like an 80s look? Would you like a wintry suit, suit that you can wear all year round? Or would you like a lighter weight suit? So you have a choice of a winter suit, a summer suit, or an all year round suit. Mm. With all of these communications, I'm chatting with you. I'm designing in my mind, and I'm thinking what's relevant to show you. Because we have in a region of 12,000 different cloths and different weights and qualities and designs to show you. And I have to eliminate in my mind 11,999. Mm. So let's talk about some famous people. Who have you had? Samuel L. Jackson wouldn't mind being named because he comes here and we make his suits. He's sponsored by Giorgio Armani. He can go there and wear their suits, but the suits that is perfectly cut and fitted that make him feel different when he wears them, we come in, we make those. Tony Curtis used to come here. I made first actually met uh, Tony when um, I was working for a movie. I was doing the wardrobe for the movie. I was dressing the star. And uh, then he became a customer after that. And same as Samuel L. Jackson, actually, um, when I was working for a movie for him, dressing him for that movie, then he became a customer. Charles Gray, who was Blofeld and James Bond, actually, I've made more suits for Charles Gray than any other actor because he was an unusual figure. And part of his contract that he used to insist on that I made his suits. You know, I made Mike Skinner, um, you know, the hip-hop guy, I made Mike Skinner a uh, track suit. In fact, in The Hardest Way to Make an Easy Living, the title track, he raps about coming to Maurice Sedwell to have a suit made. <laughs> so, you know, we, 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 we do everything. How do you make a track suit? Well, that track suit was made, and I hope Mike doesn't mind me talking about it because he paid quite a lot for it. It was a, a track suit that was made in a Super 140s wool and silver mink and cashmere. So it's the most luxurious tracksuit you'll have. How long did that take? That took quite a long time because first of all, he bought a tracksuit that he liked and fitted him. And we got a pattern according to that design. And we did a fitting and then we personalized the style to our own design. So the hood, for instance, was a detachable hood. <laughs> you know, it's so that he can wear it as a hood and he can not wear it and so on. <laughs> so we personalized it to, to an extent that it was just his, and we didn't make another for anybody else. The ultimate in limited edition, a one-off. 
Am I right in saying you dress Princess Diana? Yes, I made I made at least eight uh, business suits for the Princess of Wales. One of but which they were you wore in that panorama interview. Panorama right? interview, and the other known one was um, perhaps lesser known. It's a green silk ottoman that she wore at the beginning of the demise of her marriage. Uh, she wore it an official visit to Nepal. But those were the two that, that got the most publicity. The panorama was a very, very dark uh, midnight blue cashmere jacket. Mm. It must have been odd, having made the suit for the Princess of Wales, thinking about it in that royal context, I guess, to then realise that the context it would be seen by the whole world is her talking about the dissolution of her marriage. Yes, and I think perhaps that was the reason why, if you looked, if you look at that, that outfit again on video it looks black and it was a somber interview sort of satirical image suited the type of interview that she intended to give but I must say it was with a great deal of pride uh, when I saw my work on television although I'm used to seeing them in movies I'm used to seeing them but uh, it's not as sustaining as this it's gone on for 20 plus years now you know, people still talk about that outfit. So I, I'm in my 30s now. I'm getting to the stage where I'm thinking, well, probably at some point in the next 10 years, I'd like to get a tailored suit, but I've never been in that position before. Closest I've come is I've bought a suit off the peg in Hackett and then they've adjusted it for me, but I've never had a properly tailored suit from scratch. People like me, people listening to this who are thinking about it but haven't gone there yet, what is the essential suit that you think they should have in their wardrobe? You know, it's a very interesting question you you asked there. But I'll answer that part of your question uh, last. The first part of the comment that you made is talking about ages. You, it, It's almost three times in a, in a customer's life here they come. They might come for their wedding suit. And I've been here long enough. I've been here 42 years, 43 years. They've um, had their wedding suit. They went out, they worked, you know, they began to have children and so on. They got school fees to pay and uh, they have their occasional suit because they're developing a career. And then children's grown up, school fees are out of the way and so on. They're beginning to have a bit of money themselves to spend on themselves and then they return as customers. So, you know, those are the three times, you know, just the interview suit, if you like, their wedding suit. And then when they got a job, the occasional suit, and then come back as real customers. When it comes to having a suit that would service over a long period, then it has to be the suit is sort of very, very middle of the road. Middle of the road in design, in selection of material, in the weight of the material, because you want the material to, you want the suit to last. And it's also useful to have a second pair of trousers, because quite often we take our jackets off. And so the trousers get a real hammering. Mm. So you need it, you need the suit to last. And so a second pair of trousers is almost like having a second suit. Let's say you've got to have one suit. I would always recommend a blue suit because it's a lot more interesting in shade uh, and not very dark or, or light. It's sort of middle shade of blue. So it's easy to wear. It doesn't look too dark and too formal and too stuffy and too serious. And so, and then you can dress it down by not wearing a tie, you can dress it up to wearing a tie, or you can wear a pocket square. You know, you can play about with it, but wearing plain shirts, so you can wear checkered shirts, so, and you know, you could do all sorts of interesting things. The risk with that, yeah. though, is people say, oh, Ollie's in his blue suit again. You know, That's people okay. notice it. That's good. That's good. 
Oh, he's in his blue suit again. He's enjoying his suit so much. He's wearing it again. And again. <laughs> you know, this is my investment. You know, he wouldn't be all in his in his smart new car again. Mm. You know, he'd be drive that car to death, or he'd probably change it every five years, or maybe, uh, you know. How often should you wash a suit? Not very often. The quality of materials that we use, it's a very fine quality wool. Wool's graded from super 80s, 90s, and 100s. We use an average super 140s and 150s quality and 160s. With that quality of cloth, it doesn't need a lot of cleaning because cleaning is chemical. You don't want to introduce chemical in fine quality cloth. And so what we recommend is, is steaming the garments, pressing them, freshening them up. If you've got marks and so on, food marks and so on, you just, what we call spot clean, you just clean that area. Because you don't just take your suit onto the cleaner that you've paid an awful lot of money for. Where do you think being taken to the cleaners come from? <laughs> you know, they destroy your suits. And they chuck your suits into a big machine with so many other people's dirty clothing. You don't want to have that. You really want to have it spot clean, steamed, pressed up, and that's all you need. Okay, but easier said than done for most people. I don't know how to steam a suit. How do I oh, go Oh, you take it to a cleaner, so you don't want to, you don't want to have it... Um, so you take it to a normal dry cleaner. Yeah, so you say, I don't want you to dry. I don't want to dry. Just I just it. want it steam and pressed and spot clean it. In fact, it is a service called spot cleaning. You know, suit I'm, I'm wearing was made in two thousand and six, and it was only cleaned once. <laughs> and I, I'm sitting opposite you, and I can say I cannot smell anything untoward. You won't. So you've cleaned it you very won't. well. The way that fashion has moved, particularly men's fashion, because men were always more reluctant than women to have multiple items in their wardrobes. But the change over the last 50 years has been towards fast fashion. Why just have three shirts and one suit when you can have 20 suits and 20 shirts, but they cost a tenth as much? There is a huge difference between fashion and style. I often say fashion is to discredit what you have in your wardrobe so you can go out and buy something new. Fashion is a moving target, whereas style outlasts fashion. Style is comfortable. Style is also relevant. Fashion is, because it changes so much every season, it's very quickly irrelevant. So you can have 20 suits, you can have 50 shirts, you can keep changing. But if you're a victim of fashion, you'll always be either out of fashion or spending quite a lot of money. If you have a, or your own personal tailored suit, you don't have to have many suits. You can have three or four suits that last you throughout your lifetime. Andrew Ramroop. OBE. To find out more about him and Morris Sedwell Suits, visit SavileRowTaylor.com. Or even better, go to their shop, like I did. It's very cool. Uh, Alex Fox is up next after this. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Well, from dressing up to getting naked, it's time for the foxhole with someone who is always sartorially excellent 
It's Alex Fox. Hello there, Ollie. Pretty in pink today. Oh, thanks. Well, if you're Ollie, I'm oily. I am absolutely plastered in coconut oil because I recently had a new tattoo and I'm using coconut oil to help the healing process. Ah, for the benefit of those of us who can't see you since we're in audio form at the moment, what is the tattoo? Uh, It's um, a black illustrative design that shows a spiral staircase going down from the the back of my neck, or as my colleague called it, uh, a stairway to heaven. Stair sounds like Uh, it. And then it descends into a a garden full of insects and and plants and herbs that are meaningful to me. And when you say descends into the garden, I mean, just to be clear, you're actually just talking about the top of your back. Yes, it doesn't go all the way down to my lady garden. All to the fox garden. What have you been up to this week, apart from getting your tattoo? Well, I haven't been spending time in gardens. I've been spending time tucked away inside a very interesting place called the Petrie Museum, which is part of UCL. And it's really hidden, this museum. It's teeny-weeny tiny, uh, but it's absolutely chock full of really interesting artefacts relating to Egyptian times. Okay, so is this one of these like Victorian collections where some colonialists came back stealing a load of stuff from all over the world and then it got bequeathed to a university? I'm not quite sure how it all ended up in UCL, but at the moment they have a special exhibition called Curses. Uh, They've got together with two modern artists called Bompus and Parr uh, who do all sorts of multi-sensory stuff. They're the people that made the New Year's Eve fireworks smell of gin or something. Yes, that's right. They did uh, a big pyramid that again was a walk-through foodie adventure. A lot of their previous stuff has been related to gastronomic experiments. But with this, they looked at the artefacts in the Petrie Museum and Mm. focused on items used to curse people or to put hexes on folk uh, and then created their own cursed modern object by getting together with an occult specialist. Mm. It's really intriguing. But some of the things that particularly appealed to me as a sex and relationships expert were things where people had used them to put curses on um, lost loves or people who they felt had romantically wronged them. But I think one of my favourite things in there was a pair of insoles, painted insoles that had pictures of people on them. Mm. And what would be done with these is they were placed inside the feet of a dead person with the idea that they would then walk forevermore upon the souls of their enemies or anyone who'd wronged them. What a fascinating extracurricular life you have, Alex. (laughs) You know what I did this week? What? I watched an episode of The Apprentice. Uh, It's time for our question of sex for the week, brought to you, as ever, by our friends at mycondom.com. Remind us of their incredible platform. Well, they do a veritable pick-and-mix selection of condoms, including the ESP Irish cream flavour condom. So there's a little bit of Baileys for the ladies there. And actually, I mean, you know, we're, we're a very positive show. Anyone can suck on a condom. But I would say, generally speaking, that Baileys is a flavour that's favoured by ladies. So uh, well, if that's did... who you want nibbling on your nethers, then uh, that sounds like a good product to go for. I'm hoping that our listeners know more about Baileys than the average person because we did that incredible episode mm. where we told the story of Irish cream that's very kind you to mention it. The Impossible Cream is the uh, name of the episode if you want to go back through our archive. And if you're finding it impossible to cream, then there are some things that can stimulate you on mycondom.com as well. And this week's question is from Chris, who says, My wife and I are having a bit of a sexual renaissance after neglecting that aspect of our relationship for too long. While discussing what we could do differently, she mentioned that erotic literature is something that she finds stimulating. So I was wondering if you had any recommendations for sources of short stories to warm up with. He doesn't want War and Peace here. He just wants a little bit of foreplay. War and Peace. Tick the box. Uh, Or indeed, how can we go about using a story as a couple. I have to say, Ollie, thank you 
from the bottom of my heart and from the centre of my parts to Chris because in investigating forms of erotica and erotic literature that I could recommend to him Mm. I frankly fell into the most pleasurable black hole of X-rated writings and my own black hole has had a very very nice time so cheers Chris Excellent Uh, (laughs) Well uh, let's let's start with the one that you found most alluring then I suppose There's a few sites that you can head to there's a really good one called Literotica which has over 5,000 stories a lot of those are written by amateurs so um, the quality of those tales can vary but there's all sorts of topics on there everything from quite romantic gentle stuff there's a there's a, a category called loving wives right up to kind of more edgy envelope pushing daring themes mm. like uh, consensual non-consent so things like playing with with rape play and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, the thing with literotica and there's a couple of other sites as well clitorati.co.uk is a good one uh, and there's a fan fiction and fan art site called AO3 which has some really well written stuff on it actually um, the good thing with those places is that you can quickly skim through it doesn't cost you a penny mm. uh, you can usually ascertain from the first few paragraphs whether somebody's writing style and uh, the topics that they're chatting about uh, are, are turning you on or turning you off. Yes. Another site I would like to suggest uh, is nifty.org. And this place has quite a large emphasis on LGBTQ plus stories. Now, what's being described in those tales might not be of immediate relevance or uh, immediately relatable to Chris and his missus. But I think it can often be not only educational, but can give you some really interesting, passionate, sexy ideas to read about different types of sex being had by different types of people. So if you feel like expanding your horizons as well as hopefully expanding and contracting your bits in wonderful rhythmic motion, do check that out. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, to what extent do you think it's relevant to be thinking about the stories as primers for role play? If you want to read something together or share a story that gives ideas that you'd then like to play out, then yeah, sure, that's that's one exciting route that you could take. But as with all erotic material and porn, it's really worth bearing in mind that what somebody enjoys hearing about or reading about or seeing isn't necessarily what they'd want to translate Mm. to real life. And if you don't want to take, you know, your smartphone to bed with you and you want a more traditional erotic literature, uh, is there, uh, you know, one of those old-fashioned books you could recommend? One really good tome to let your fingers roam downstairs with uh, is called 100 of Literature's Sexiest Stories and it's got an introduction by Mariella Frostrup in there. Oh, God, I interviewed Mariella Frostrup about that book on BBC Radio Northampton. You can imagine how sexy that conversation was. How sexy was? It? it was all right. We spoke a lot about Fifty Shades of Grey because we felt that was the uh, level at which the audience would be comfortable at one o'clock in the afternoon discussing sex on BBC Local Radio. Have we discussed Fifty Shades of Grey before? You're not Ollie? a fan. I I'm know. not a fan yeah. of it. Yeah. I, I have to thank it for starting interesting conversations about both erotic books and BDSM. Mm. So it was good that it started some uh, constructive discussions. Yeah, that's the kind of thing people say oh. about Piers Morgan, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's good as a conversation <laughs> starter. I just don't agree with him. Yeah, it's just horribly written. Uh, I won't, it's it's it wouldn't be my choice, especially when there are such brilliant other books out there, uh, like Indian Knights Collection, which is called The Dirty Bits for Girls. 
and Virago have published a collection called Erotic Myths and Legends, which, if you're into history, that's a good book. It's probably topical to mention Nancy Friday as well, who was an incredibly famous author from the 70s. Sounds like a sort of teenage detective from uh, <laughs> she does, she from does. girls' fiction. But who is Nancy Friday? <laughs> uh, she's actually just passed away at the grand old age of 84, but in 1973 she published a book called uh, My Secret Garden, Women's Sexual Fantasies. Subtle. Again, my tattoo is not a reference <laughs> yeah. to that. Uh, and when it first appeared, it really created an absolute storm of outrage uh, amongst the public and the media. But it was such an important feminist text. But is it still it, relevant now to get you in the mood? I think it's not only in a Feminist text doesn't sound like foreplay to me. <laughs> Feminism can be very sexy sure. on it. At its bare bones, it's real women talking about their real thoughts and fantasies. Mm. And even though decades have passed since then, I think there's still a lot to be gleaned that's not only titillating, but can also help people uh, feel less alone if there's a particular thing that they find sexy that they have never spoken about before and, and, and maybe find that in that book, then the reassurance of feeling that you're not the only person who gets excited and enlightened by that kind of thought can actually help give you more sexual confidence and thus lead to a more fulfilling experience in bed. If you want something truly personalised, there's a company called U-Star Novels who, for around £25, if you supply key details about you and your lover and your tastes, Mm. they will supply erotica with your names in it. Or if you want to try writing something together, you can get uh, sets of dice that you throw uh, and they suggest things like a location or a position. So it's stuff to start firing up your creative juices if you if you want to try writing a story together or writing a story on your own for your partner but you don't know where to begin a little gadget like that which makes a great stocking filler actually can be a useful place to start and let's touch briefly on the the gender divide we've talked in previous episodes when we were discussing porn about how generally speaking more men than women consume porn but there are women who like porn and maybe they'd like gay porn with men on men etc is the flip of that true with erotic literature it seems to me something that generally women prefer to men men prefer a visual stimulus well there definitely are many women who are really visual so i wouldn't want to make a clear-cut distinction and say uh, men like to look at humpy things to get in the rumpy bumpy mood whereas women like to read things and be imaginative Uh, and of course preferences are informed by societal conditioning however i do think a lot of women tend to use their imaginations more when they're when they're getting in the mood or when they're when they're turning themselves on so reading something that gives you uh, space in your own mind to create characters, to imagine what somebody might look like rather than being given a, a, a direct visual stimulus. Erotic literature allows space for you to fill in the details yourself and I think that does appeal to a lot of women. Also I mean you know a lot of women take a little bit longer to warm up don't they that's the other thing a story takes longer to read doesn't it men instantly boner let's go. That's the case for a lot of people again not all uh, but that's a really good way of segueing into audiobooks because something that I've found useful and a lot of other women might and indeed men might want to give it a try. There are some brilliant erotic podcasts and audiobooks books out there and if you have a decent pair of headphones then you can listen to those 
for example, on your commute, if you know that you're heading home to your partner, <laughs> then it's a really easy way of getting yourself in the mood and beginning to turn yourself on, beginning to get yourself into that sexy frame of mind in the time it takes you to reach your house. Plus, there's an extra saucy factor of knowing mm. that you're doing something a little bit subversive yeah. in public. Everyone else in the lift at Gooch Street thinks you're listening to the best of today. Really? For instance. You're getting ready for the best tonight. <laughs> uh, if you're feeling extra saucy, you might also want to try coupling that audiobook with maybe just before you leave your workplace or wherever to get on your tube or get in your car, whatever. Uh, apply a little bit of stimulating lubricant or orgasm-enhancing cream so that you've got that fizzy, tingling, exciting effect in your body. Your ears are filled with these sexy stories and hopefully by the time you get home, you will already have had a head start on uh, receiving some wonderful head or whatever it is else that you want to do. I often listen to erotic audio books when I'm getting ready to go on a date or when I'm in the bath, uh, when I did used to live with a partner and he'd be making the dinner or whatever, I'd have a moment to myself. Um, You did say that you had some personal recommendations. I'd just be keen to know what really got the fox going. Well, this is a tad embarrassing. I'm getting flustered just thinking about this. She is. I, I can listened confirm to this she is. going to sleep last night. And right. I had, I had really, really wet dreams. The Niagara Falls of wet dreams. Let me guess. Um, Michael McIntyre's audiobook. <laughs> Am I close? Gordon Brown's memoirs. You maybe not as far away as you might think. Uh, have you heard of a toy called Vibes? No. Vibes is a little vibrator that a woman can wear tucked inside her knickers and you can operate it either with a remote control or you can sync it up with audiobooks so that as the action heats up in the narrative, the Vibes toy buzzes mm-hmm. more with, with more ferocity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a whole library of sexy audiobooks that you can, that you can listen to. Uh, and sometimes I listen to them on their own without using the toy. And there is a particular narrator who is Irish, who's called Gale Force. <laughs> and some of his material is really cheesy, but it just does something does to me. Yeah. And I think it's because I used to really fancy Shane from Boyzone as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Boyzone meets the Moan Zone. Um, but yeah, it's really good fun. Uh, so that's one thing that um, Chris and his partner might want to try. Mm. Uh, other ways of experimenting with erotica, t- with erotica together, that was a mouthful, appropriately enough, include if you wanted to read some erotica to each other that maybe doing that face-to-face felt a little bit awkward and cringy and squirmy uh, you could try blindfolds or you could use the voice note feature on whatsapp to actually just record a little snippet and send it to each other maybe during a busy working day to, to again heat things up before you see each other at the at the end and why not as shane from boyzone would say it's only words uh, if you've got a question of sex for alex for next week's show what should you do with it Scurry on over to modernman, that's uk and click on feedback. You can give as much or as little detail as you want. You can retain your name or you can remain anonymous. And if you want to warm up your parts with a bit of lubricant to excite your commute home, <laughs> head on over to mycondom.com, who will always sort you out. And we'll sort you out with a luscious 15% discount when you use the code FOXHOLE. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this week's episode, but there is just still time to anoint a new ambassador. It is Stuart in Harrogate, who's donated via PayPal the generous but bizarre and specific sum of £37.40. Why? 
Uh, what did you sell on eBay to get that, Stu? I'm guessing like an iPhone 4S, something like that. Uh, he says, Ollie, thanks for hours of entertainment. I am currently training for the English Indoor Rowing Championships, and the modern man makes 100 kilometers of training each week fly by. Uh, Stuart, best of luck with your endeavours. It's not really rowing, though. Um, and uh, I now pronounce you Ambassador for Harrogate. Beautiful part of the world. Congratulations. Uh, music now. Our theme is by Django Django from their self-titled debut album. And our record of the week is by Be Good. The song is called Night Bus, and it's out now on Communion Music. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. I've been working hard Cause I just wanna be good They don't understand why It's the fog of love and kindness The way our bodies move Slaves to our old habits Twitching like a rabbit Better leave soon It's late, do you wanna go cruising? Are you tired of getting off to bad music? Cause I don't So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every week. Weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.